Kingdom series of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts. There's another host that is joining me today, Daniel Sun. Ayo. Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 128 extra Patreon episodes, which is a lot of extra hours for your listening pleasure. So to see this full list of Patreon episodes, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com. You can click on the Patreon tab, and there you will see an entire list of past Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is Mysteries Part 3, Spooky Edition, which in this episode we cover different strange and spooky mysteries such as strange sounds that have been occurring on American airline flights for the past six months, a cat that has successfully predicted when a person was going to die, and a lot more other weird and spooky mysteries. So you get access to that episode, as well as all of the others, for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you would like to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoots, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is about witches. Now, how this episode will go today is we'll talk a little bit about what are witches and the history behind them, and then we'll go into different witches throughout history, starting off with the very first one and kind of jumping around to some other different notable ones, and then we'll transition into strange facts and findings where we talk about some strange things that we have uncovered while doing this research, and then we'll go into theories and then wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. She's in here with us, my friend. We are legion. Thousands of years ago, ancient civilizations trained women and sacred arts, and they became respected spiritual leaders of their communities. However, many years later, these once respected leaders would be labeled as evil and would be accused of doing the devil's work. Because of those claims, over 60,000 individuals were executed. Were these individuals a part of an actual coven that worshipped the devil by performing ritual sacrifices? Or was it all just a made-up plan by the churches to rid their towns of dissidents? This is Witches. Alright, 
So to start this episode off, we first need to start with the basics. We need to talk a little bit about what witches are and the history behind them. And I know this might sound a little boring to some of you, but trust us, the information that we're going to go over is actually pretty fascinating. So Dan, can you start it off for us and tell us what are witches? Of course. So Aaron, when you think of witches, what do you imagine they look like? So my brain automatically defaults to the Wizard of Oz witch with a big green nose and the wart on her nose and the big hat and riding a broom around. That's automatically what I think of. I mean, honestly, I'm right there with you when I think about witches because, I mean, grew up watching Disney movies and they all pretty much had the witches being like an old lady with like a wart on her face and doing evil deeds. Yeah, they all portrayed witches the same exact way. Yep. Now, in regards to what people imagine when they hear the word witch, majority of them think the same exact thing that you did, Aaron. You know, that it is an evil old lady with a large nose that has a giant wart on it and she's laughing while stirring something around in a large boiling cauldron. And that is what a lot of people think of when they hear the word witch. Yeah, that's exactly right, Dan. However, if you look back in history, many of these so-called witches were actually once considered healers and even holy members of their communities, which I had no idea they were. So I started digging around into the history books, and I learned that in ancient civilizations in the Middle East, they actually worshipped female deities, and it was often the women, who were called priestesses, by the way. Well, they were the ones who practiced the holiest of rituals. Now, these priestesses were the witches back in the day, except they did not call them that. So these priestesses trained in the sacred arts and eventually became known as wise women in their community. They would often help families who were struggling with infertility, and if you were pregnant and about to have a baby, a wise woman had to be present when the baby was born to help with the delivery. So needless to say, they were very well respected. Yeah, they absolutely were. And if you look back at some historical literature, you will see that these wise women were never looked down upon. They were viewed as sort of like positive figures in their society at the time. And get this, all of the kings had wise women as their counsel on various matters. Like they had to consult them about various things. For an example, if an army got defeated in battle, a king would have multiple wise women perform a ritual activity on his army to sort of help them recover. I know what you're wondering, though. How did the image of these wise women transform into something that people over the next hundred years were afraid of? All these holy women somehow were viewed as devil-worshipping, evil, ugly witches who needed to be killed off. What caused everyone to believe that? So I will tell you exactly what happened, Dan. Tell me, Aaron. Tell me. So when it comes to this, there are some different beliefs. However, the most common one supposedly occurred during the transition from the Late Bronze to the Early Iron Age. So around this time, it was around 1250 BCE. The Hebrews, you know, they were walking around and they entered into the lands of Canaan. Which, if you don't know what that is, that area of land is pretty much Israel, Gaza, Jordan, and like southern portions of like Syria and Lebanon. So that's where the Hebrews started entering into. Ah. So the Hebrews settled there and their religious belief was different from other communities in the area. The Hebrews didn't believe in all those different types of deities. Instead, they believed in only one God. It was because of this belief and them obeying the laws in their Bible that they believed witchcraft to be dangerous 
and they labeled it as a pagan practice and made it illegal. Now, following that, any individual seen doing any type of ritual was automatically labeled as a pagan and blamed for doing, and I quote, the devil's work by using witchcraft and magic spells to call upon the devil and other spirits. So for the next hundred of years, this fear of witches being demonic and evil, that belief spread all around the world. Then in the 1300s, the Black Death made its way into Europe and killed around 30 to 60% of the European population. So pretty much one out of every three people in Europe died. That is a lot of people. Yeah, it is. Now, it was during this time of the Black Death that the Catholic Church started telling its followers that the Black Death, it was caused by the devil and his worshipers, and that his worshipers were witches. Following that, the Catholic Church then made additional claims stating that the majority of these witches were women who would gather at nighttime in large numbers, where they performed various perverted acts that appeased the devil, such as promiscuous sex, naked dancing, and even eating the flesh of human infants. Now, they stated that at the end of this gathering, the devil himself would appear in front of these witches and participate in a large orgy with them. That's legitimately what they said. See, this, make, this all makes sense now. This is why the devil came down to Georgia. <laughs> he was wanting to bang some witches. <laughs> well, good for him. Oh. Anyways, so what did the people think of all these crazy claims? Well, of course, these claims shocked their followers, and they started asking the church what could be done to stop these witches and save the church from the devil. The leaders of the Catholic Church stated that the witches had to be tamed, and to do this, they were releasing a book to help anyone tame a witch. Sort of like a witch hunting for dummies. Shortly after that, Catholic Church Inquisitors Jacob Springer and Heinrich Kramer, they wrote a book called Malleus Maleficarum. So this book was for witch hunters. It pretty much guided them on how to diagnose and punish the so-called witches who were easy prey for the devil. And just to give you an idea of how widespread this belief was about witches at the time, is that the book, Malleus Maleficarum, it became the second most popular book, with the Bible being the most popular. So at the time, people were reading it. Damn. So fast forward to the end of the 1600s, and the witch hunting hysteria in Europe reached its peak. Witch hunts spread like wildfire all across Europe. Thousands of women were arrested and brought to inquisitors for examination. Now these inquisitors would strip the accuser naked and search their bodies. They would look for any suspicious warts, moles, or birthmarks, which they stated these markings, these warts, moles, and birthmarks, were actually markings that the devil gave his loyal followers a.k.a. witches. Now, if the Inquisitor found any of those markings, you know, the warts, moles, or birthmarks, then the accused person would receive a death sentence. So the church couldn't just kill these accused witches. These women first needed to confess. So how did the church get them to confess? Well, they tortured them. The church would use instruments such as thumb and leg screws, head clamps, and the Iron Maiden in order for the accused witches to confess, and then at the point, they were allowed to kill them. Now, real quick, 
If you don't know what the Iron Maiden is, well, it is a human-sized box with spikes inside of it. The victim would be forced inside of this box and the door would be shut. The interior spikes on the door would then go into the victim's body. Now, you would think that would kill the person, right? Well, not so fast. These spikes were short and positioned in a way so that the victim wouldn't die quickly. They would just slowly bleed out over time. So yeah, it was a horrible torture device. Yeah, it was. And just a little another knowledge nugget to add to this. Uh, so when the church was torturing the women to get them to confess, the people doing the torturing, they were told to not make eye contact with the witches because their evil powers might cause them to develop feelings of compassion and they would end up releasing the witch before she was able to confess. Alright, so these witch hunts continued and the worst one occurred in Germany. The magistrates at the time determined that most of the town was possessed by the devil and they ended up condemning hundreds of innocent women to death. And if that isn't bad enough, it was stated that a lot of the towns in Germany had no women left at all because they killed them all thinking that they were all witches. <laughs> you imagine being like a bachelor in that town, you wake up that next morning and all the women are dead? You're like, God dang it. That's a lot of witches. Uh, supposed witches. Oh, man, I got so many theories already, and I cannot wait to get into them. Oh, yeah. Anyways. All right, let's fast forward to the beginning of the 18th century, and it was during this time that the witch hunts ended. However, the damage had already been done, an estimated 60,000 people in Europe had been accused of being witches and were killed. So that is what witches are and how they went from being sort of like a holy figure to being viewed as an evil possessed individual who had to be killed. So now that you know all of that, let's move forward and talk a little bit about some notable witches throughout history. So Dan, you want to start us off and tell us about this first one? Absolutely. The first witch that we're going to go over today is actually the very first witch in history. So when we started looking into this, we found that the earliest records of a witch was in the Bible, in the book of Samuel. It tells the story of King Saul and how he ended up seeking out a witch. So Aaron, can you give us a little history lesson over this real quick? Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. All right, so to start this history lesson off, we need to talk about a few people, Daniel. The first person we need to talk about is Samuel. So way back in the day, Israel was ruled by judges. Now, one of those judges was Samuel. Now, he was super respected in his community, and his words meant something. So people were like, I'm f***ing with Samuel, you know. He's my bro. And also, he uh, apparently communicated directly with God. And that is pretty much one of the main reasons why everyone listened to him and pretty much followed his decisions, all right? So he was getting words straight from the man. Anyway, so around 1037 BCE, Samuel decided to go in front of everyone and say, Hey, this judge shit ain't working out. Instead, God told me to make my friend Saul here the king of Israel. And guess what? Everyone was like, okay, cool. So, of course, Saul became the first monarch of Israel. Now, during his reign as king, Saul ended up banishing all necromancers, sorcerers, and witches from Israel. So they ended up all leaving. And this plays an important role going forward, so remember that, all right? Anyway, 
So during his reign, King Saul had some beef with his neighbors, the Philistines. They had some beef. Like every time he'd walk outside, they'd flip each other off. No, they, they didn't do that. Although but... say, so that's kind of like us. Yeah. If we could really see each other. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now it's important to note that according to scripture, the Philistines were a pleasure-loving, warlike society of pagans that were ruled by tyrants who always threatened ancient Israel. They were always talking shit to King Saul, saying that they were going to come whip his ass, make claim to his land, and stuff like that. But Saul mostly just ignored them. Yeah, he did. Until one day, uh, he was notified that the Philistines had gathered their forces together and were preparing for war against Israel. It was at this point, Saul was like, well, fuck. Now, around this same time, Saul's friend Samuel, well, he ended up dying and the entire country of Israel mourned his death. The Philistines didn't care, though. They took their troops and started to approach closer to Israel. King Saul heard about this and gathered all of his troops together. Initially, he was pretty confident that his army was going to whip the Philistines' ass. However, once he saw the size of the Philistines' army, he started to get eh, super nervous. Yeah, he got really, really nervous. And King Saul, you know, he needed some advice on what to do. So, who best to ask than the Lord himself? So, at that point, King Saul tried to reach out to the Lord. He's like, hey man, Philistines, they're right on our border. They got a whole bunch of people. What do I do? But you know what? He didn't get an answer back. God ignored him. And at that point, Saul became super desperate for help. So he gathered up a crew of his servants, and he was like, hey, I got to tell y'all something important. He said, hey, we got a big-ass army outside that wants to kick our ass. The Lord ain't answering my prayers, and I don't want to get killed. So I need y'all's asses to seek out a woman who is a medium so that I can see if she can summon up Samuel's spirit for me to talk to. So Saul's servants then said, do not fear, king. We know the perfect person. You see, there's this crystal-loving witch at Endor. You need to go talk to her ass. So that night, King Saul ended up disguising himself, and him and two of his servants walked to the town of Endor. When he got there, he ended up heading straight to the witch's house. The witch opened up the door and saw a man with his entire face covered and two other men standing behind him. Saul, the man with his entire face covered, said to the witch, Thou hast heard about you being a witch and being able to sum up spirits and whatnot. Can thy's ass do one a favor? The witch took a step back, looked the mysterious man up and down and said, What? Hast thou forgotten what King Saul had just previously done? He banished all necromancers, witches, and mediums from the land. So why is thy's ass coming to my door in the middle of the night asking about this? Are you trying to trick me so that I am killed? Saul told the witch, I swear by the Lord that no punishment will come upon you for this thing. The witch was like, ah, all right. Who dost thou wish to bring back from the dead? I like your witch voice, just saying. It's pretty, pretty nice. King Saul told her that she should summon up Samuel. It was at this point that the witch recognized that the man was King Saul. She initially freaked out, but Saul was just like, Hey man, take it easy. All I want you to do is summon up Samuel for me. That's it. I just need to talk to him. That's all you got to do. I'm not going to kill you. Everything's okay. So the witch agreed. She performed the ritual and a spirit appeared. The spirit said, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul said, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, 
and God has turned away from me and answers me no more. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. Now, at this point, Samuel became pretty agitated from this question and said, Why then do you ask me? Since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. Of course, after Saul heard this, he was like, oh shit, my ass is going to get whipped. And Saul ended up going back to his home and sort of became, you know, depressed for a little while. Yeah, well, he wasn't depressed for that long because the next day a war broke out between the Israelis and the Philistines. The Philistines began whipping the Israelis' ass. So King Saul and his three sons were like, screw this, we're leaving the battlefield. Our entire army's getting destroyed. Let's get away so we don't get killed. However, they didn't get very far. All three sons of Saul were killed. And then Saul was like, ah, sorry guys, I gotta go. And just kind of left his sons there and kept running. And then he was injured by an arrow. It was at this point that Saul knew he was going to get captured and he did not want that to happen. So instead, Saul looked at his armor bearer that was next to him and told him, Hey, uh, I don't want to get kidnapped by the Philistines. Kill me. His armor bearer was like, what? Oh, hell no. I'm out of here. And he took off running. So King Saul stood there and was like, well, I guess I have to do it myself. Saul then took out his sword and jumped onto that bitch, stabbing it right through himself, dying a few moments later. Wait, 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 wait. So he didn't just like stab himself. He, he hopped up on it, stabbed himself. So he like put it downwards and then hopped up on it. I feel like that's worse. Yeah. Well, he wanted to make sure it went all the way through. He didn't just want to injure himself. I guess that's true. Anyway, so that right there is the first witch that was ever documented in history and how she summoned up spirits from the dead. Now, one last knowledge nugget about this witch of Endor is that it was stated that she possessed an unusual power, that she owned a talisman and could use it to summon the dead. So that is why the servants brought King Saul to her. So those servants knew. They knew something. I would have been questioning the servants. Yeah, they're just like, oh, yeah, we, we got someone in mind that could definitely help us, King. Don't worry. All right, so that right there is the first documented witch in history. Now let's get into the next one. So Dan, do you want to start it off for us? Of course. So the second witch that we're going to talk about is a witch named Isabel Goldie. This Isabel Goldie was one of the witches that belonged to the Aldern Coven that was located in Scotland in the 1600s. Now Isabel became a very well-known witch in the year 1662. Not because she was caught practicing witchcraft, but because of her detailed testimony that was supposedly given by her own free will. While being tortured. They don't call it that. So something to know when talking about this story is that during this time period, Scotland had a system in place that they called preliminary torture. Now this little system of interrogation would consist of the person being deprived of food, being held without sleep, and even being beaten or having their legs crushed. And you figure that this would make any testimony or confession, you know, thrown out of court. But that was not the case, you know, since back then the courts kind of like turned an eye to torture. Especially at the beginning of the trial. Yeah. Anyway, Isabel was brought in and she gave her confession of being a witch. This confession was written down as an official record and stated that the prisoner confessed without torture. 
However, the court records came out and stated that Isabel Goldie was never tortured from their perspective, even though she actually was. But they did, in fact, torture her to get information out of her so that they could find out any known accomplices in the Aldern Coven that she belonged to. All right, so fast forward a little while later, Isabel actually got to speak her truth about the entire matter and her being a witch. And it wasn't just once. Isabel got to tell her story about four times during the time frame of April 3rd, 1662 to May 27th, 1662. And during those times, she never changed her story or even contradicted herself. She told it the same exact way every single time. So the story that Isabel told was that it all started when she was about 15 years old at the Church of Aldern in Nernshrein. A man dressed in all gray approached her and put his devil's mark on her and gave her the nickname of Janet. What kind of nickname was Janet? I think they could have been a cooler nickname than that. Witch Janet or Janet the Witch. Witch of Janet. Or like the Witch of Aldern or Goldie the Gray or some shit. Oh yeah, that'd been awesome. Goldie the Great. Missed opportunities, man. Hell yeah. All right, so after Isabel got her mark and her cool new nickname of Janet, which we're still going to call her Isabel, by the way. We're not going to switch to Janet. So after that, she ended up meeting with 12 other women, which, including her, would make a total of 13. So the members of this coven would all meet on a usual basis and have Sabbaths that occurred in each quarter of the year. Now, Isabel Goldie told of the activities that they would do. They would summon attendant imps that would help them with their work, the use of wax images which were used to harm others. They would blight crops and then meet with fairies while practicing their shape-shifting skills. Can you explain what blight crops means? Is it poison? Yeah, pretty much poisoning, plaguing crops, you know, just destroying the nutrients and shit in it. Okay. Anyways, then of course the one and only mode of transportation that witches would use in stories and movies would be riding their brooms to Sabbaths. So she did say that they rode brooms. She did say that they rode brooms. Okay. Um, now, there is one that I've never heard of before, but supposedly, uh, in her story, she told of the witches shooting elf bolts. And I envisioned sort of like a lightning bolt, you know, like a spell. Magic missile. <laughs> yeah, magic missile. Uh, but apparently, they were stone arrowheads that they would find already shaped which made them believe that they were, you know, previously used by elves. The final thing that Isabel said was that they would all get drunk and have big feasts, and then right after, they would all go and have a wild orgy, which she describes in very vivid detail back then. Which, we no, we don't have that description. <laughs> we're not going to go over that now. But you think they would want to uh, have the orgy first, and then go eat. At least I would. I guess they wanted that energy first. Hmm. Okay. Now, something that I wanted to mention, do you remember when we said that they would blight farmers' fields, you know, po pretty much poison the crops? Yep. Well, how they did this is that they would go and dig up the body of a young child from the nearby cemetery. Oh, Jesus Christ. They would then separate the body into parts, which if they had extra parts, they sometimes shared those spare parts to a neighboring coven. After separating into parts, they would take them and bury the pieces of the bodies into the farmer's compost pile, which pretty much stopped any of the crops from growing. That's disgusting. That is pretty disgusting. So what makes this even crazier is that supposedly 
uh, when the authorities heard about this, you know, the digging up the bodies and all that and, and tearing them apart and all that stuff, they weren't really disgusted by that. What they were disgusted by was the sexual rights that the witches would go and do. So anything like f***ing and sucking, they were like, eh, that's gross. You guys do that? Ugh. Yeah. So Isabella would go on to tell the authorities that the female lead of the coven, who was called either the queen or the maiden, would actually be the first one to enjoy the male coven leader's sexual favor. Noise. Noise. Yeah, uh, that is the part that disgusted all of the authorities the most, which is kind of like dumb, you know, because you figured it would be the dead bodies being dug up and torn apart, but instead they're like, ooh, vagina, penis, gross. So yeah, that right there was the testimony or story that Isabel told about, you know, her being a witch and what it all contained. And she never really denied being one. She kind of owned up to it. So good job, Isabella. Yeah. Now, I know you're probably wondering, though, how her trial ended. Well, there's supposedly no record of how it ended. But I mean, you know, they did find her guilty along with her coven mates. You know, whether she actually snitched on them when they tortured her or not, I don't know. But they found them anyway. So we don't really know what all exactly happened to them. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't good. Yeah. Um, someone did mention online that they knew what happened to her. They stated that she was hanged at the West Point of Elgin. And afterwards, to make sure that she didn't do any more witchy stuff, they decided to burn her body. But that's just, you know, that's just a claim from somebody. There's really no proof to back that up. So, so they hung her, and then afterwards they burned her. Yep. Had to make sure she was dead. Kind of like that one witch that they took the rivets with and stuck the rivets through her joints and oh, pinned her to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, which we'll get into that story here in a little bit. Anyway, so that right there is Isabel and her entire witch story and all that encompassed. Anyways, all right, Dan, so tell us about this next one. All right, so this next witch that we will talk about is called the Fisherwife of Palermo. Now, that right there is an interesting name. The reason for that is because the lady of this story was an unnamed Italian woman and was allegedly a witch that was put on trial for witchcraft by the Sicilian Inquisition. Okay, so they didn't really drop her full name. They didn't dox her or anything like that. Nope, they didn't use her first name, nothing. They just pretty much like, oh, that's the, wisher, the Fisherwife of Palermo. Okay, I like that Italian accent. I'm trying, trying. All right, so this woman, which we're going to call the Fisherwife, she claimed that she was associated with fairies. Now, it was this confession that would be the first described contact with fairies, elves, and other mythical creatures. And this claim would become a pretty common one to hear about when the witch trials started. However, we will talk about all those here in a little bit. But first... Let's dive deeper into the Fisherwife story. So, the story of the Fisherwife starts off way back in 1588. This is when she was first accused of being a witch. Now, after she was brought in, she told the officials that when she was a child, that she had flown through the air with a group of women to a vast field on the mainland of the Kingdom of Naples. On that field, she had seen a red-colored teenage boy and a beautiful woman who sat upon a throne. So this teenage boy and woman were known as the king and queen of the land, and the individual that took the fisherwife there to the field told her to show them respect and pledge her allegiance, that if she fell to her knees to show loyalty to them, they would bless her with riches, beauty, and all the beautiful men that she could ask for. 
but there was one rule that she had to follow, that she should never mention the Virgin Mary, as it would be disrespectful in their presence. So the fisherwife agreed. She pledged her allegiance to the king and queen, whom she would refer to as her god and goddess now. She stated that she had to place her hand on a big book with big numbers on it. After that little ceremony, they all celebrated. They ended up having a big banquet where they had a ton of food and drinks and, of course, lots of intercourse. She claimed that she had sex with multiple men within a short period of time. And then after the festivities, she then said that it was like she was waking up from a dream. Now, with her saying that it was like a dream, the Inquisition didn't really punish her harshly at all. The Inquisition was already skeptical of her story since she started off making claims about fairies and then she made other odd claims. So they really didn't take her seriously and ended up pretty much letting her go. Of course, the fisherwife was sort of confused and told the Inquisition that she had not known that it was sinful until the priest told her that the elves that she was talking to were in fact not elves, but it was actually Satan himself. Also, another thing worth noting is that she stated that the divine couple, a.k.a. the king and queen, her god and goddesses, that they had given her a medicine that would cure the sick. They said to use this so she can earn money. In turn, this would alleviate her financial situation and she wouldn't have to deal with being poor anymore. So yeah, that's the story of the Fisherwives of Palomaro. That sounds just like a dream, man. You think she's having like um, really vivid dreams and just feeling guilty and confessing it? I mean, it's possible. That's why, like, I mean, they were like kind of skeptical about it, but then when she was like, oh, it's a dream, they're just like, yep, yep, she's making it all up. All right, so let's get into the last witch that we're going to talk about, which is a woman named Agnes Sampson. All right, before we get into that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. All right, welcome back. So way back in the year of 1590, Scotland at the time was balls deep in hunting down witches. Now, many of the accused were sent to trial and were actually questioned by the king himself. During this period, an individual named Gillis Duncan accused a woman named Agnes Sampson of being a witch. It was stated that Agnes had used her powers to storm rays. Which storm rays, I'm guessing, is like conjuring up storms. Oh, okay. Of course, Agnes was arrested and tortured to see if she would confess if she was actually a witch. Now, when we started really digging deep into this, we found an actual document from the National Archives in which it details Agnes Sampson and her confession. So we are going to go over a little bit of what that document says. And it starts off saying, Certain notes of Agnes Sampson and her confession on January 27, 1590, whereupon she was convicted by a legal court and burned in Edinburgh on the 28th of January, 1591, for being a witch. Agnes confesses that after the death of her husband, that the devil appeared unto her in the night and offered the support needed for her to be able to keep her babies and take revenge on her enemies. 
the devil stated that her children would be cared for if she promised to serve him. Agnes, motivated with poverty and fair promises of riches and revenge of her enemies, took the devil as her master and renounced Christ. Agnes confesses that she performed invocations, an act of summoning a spirit to speak with the devil and ask him if a gentle woman should live or die. Later that evening, after her summoning the devil, as Agnes was preparing supper, she witnessed an all-black doll crawl out of the water well. This dog approached her and was the devil. Afterwards, he left. Shortly after, one of her daughters ended up falling into the well and died. That's crazy, huh? That is kind of crazy. Yeah. So that right there was one of the documents that we came across, and it's Agnes's confession. And of course, because of that confession, you know, Agnes was taken to Castle Hill where she was garroted and then burnt at the stake. And this happened on January 28th, 1591. And we have a link to that National Archive and the document that details this full Agnes thing. So we'll have that up on our website for anyone to take a look at. So there you go. Uh, now you know what witches are, the history of them, and some stories about specific ones. So now we are going to transition into strange facts and findings and talk about some weird things that we came across while researching this topic. So Dan, do you want to tell us about this first one? All right, before we get into that, Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Don't go nowhere. All right. Welcome back. So our first strange fact and finding that we're going to go over is the Salem Witch Trials. Now, I just want to state that we are going to get into this topic in way more detail in the future. However, we are still going to go over it slightly in this episode. So bear with us. Yep. So to understand the story of the Salem Witch Trials, you have to understand that around this time in the 1690s, the witch hysteria was decreasing in Europe. However, in America, the complete opposite was going on. With the most popular event involving witches occurring in 1692 in Salem, Massachusetts, which of course was called the Salem Witch Trials. So this entire witch craze occurred in Salem, Massachusetts. Then a nine-year-old girl named Elizabeth Paris and an 11-year-old girl named Abigail Williams began suffering from fits. These fits were described as them having uncontrolled screaming and their bodies contorting in weird shapes. Shortly after that, multiple other young women began to exhibit the same symptoms. So, of course, the entire town started freaking out, and they put the blame of this onto three women and said, hey, these women were performing witchcraft on these girls. You know, that's why they're having these fits. Now, these three women were named Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tituba. So these women were questioned, and Tituba ended up saying, Yeah, I am a witch. However, it is other people that do the black magic. So fast forward for a short time later, and on June 10th, Bridget Bishop became the first accused witch to be put to death during the Salem witch trials. Bridget was hanged at the Salem gallows. Ultimately, around 200 people were accused of being a witch and 19 people were executed by hanging, and five others had died in custody. Now, another thing that's worth mentioning is that women weren't the only victims. Six men were also convicted and executed. Uh, for example, uh, one of the men was executed not by hanging, but he was told to lay on the ground, and he had heavy stones placed on top of him until it pressed him to death. Damn. Yeah. So that right there is just a little taste of the Salem Witch Trials. And just a random knowledge nugget, 
But during those trials, none of the accused witches were actually burned alive. Yeah, that's a big misconception. A lot of people think that all the witches were burned alive in, in Salem. That's not true. All of them were just hanged, you know. And you would think that Massachusetts was probably, you know, the first of the 13 colonies to pretty much obsess about witches and have this type of thing happen. But that's not true. In 1647, in Windsor, Connecticut, Alce Young was the first person in America executed for witchcraft. Before Connecticut's final witch trial took place in 1697, 46 people were accused of witchcraft in that state and 11 were put to death for the crime. So that right there uh, was the first strange fact and finding, which is, you know, just kind of a sum up of the Salem witch trial. And like Dan mentioned, we're going to go more in depth on that later on. But we just figured, you know, we'd give you a little taste of it. All right. So the next strange fact and finding that we're going to talk about is actually from a very old pamphlet made back in 1647 called The Discovery of Witches. So this pamphlet was written by Matthew Hopkins who claimed to be a witch finder of the county of Norfolk. This pamphlet was made to be given to the judges of Norfolk for the benefit of the whole kingdom. That's what it says on the cover, at least, or the front page. Which, we have an image of it, which we'll share up on the site. And if you look at the image, the inside pamphlet, it says the whole, you know, delivered to the judges of the place. It's meant to be for the benefit of the whole kingdom, which he spelled kingdom with an E at the end of it. So it's like King Dome, but yeah, but if you look at the image on the left side of it, it shows Hopkins standing up there looking down at, I guess, two witches sitting in chairs with their familiars, which are different kinds of animals. That's a long ass cow. I don't know if that's a cow or a dog. I don't know. Cow dog. That's a real long dog. Anyways, so uh, when... We found this image of this pamphlet. We decided to dive a little bit more into this Matthew Hopkins guy, a.k.a. the Witch Finder General. Now, what we found when looking into him was some pretty horrible stuff. It was pretty much like a blood trail of women being accused of being witches and him pretty much punishing them. He was a horrible individual. Oh, definitely. So this Matthew Hopkins was an unsuccessful lawyer, and because of the ongoing witch hunts, he decided to try his hand at finding witches, which he seemed to be very good at. Matter of fact, he was so good that the kings from different countries would actually pay him to come in and clean house of all their witches. For an example, in Barry St. Edmunds, Matthew Hopkins had 68 people put to death, stating that they were all witches. Following that, he went to Kimsford and accused 19 women in the town of being witches. And they were all hanged that same day. Now, I know what most of you are probably thinking. How the hell did Matthew Hopkins identify who was and wasn't a witch? Well, he stated that there was a telltale sign that would prove they were a witch, and this sign was called the Devil's Mark, which I think we mentioned earlier. This Devil's Mark would be like a wart or mole, and it even said that it could have possibly been like a flea bite to this man, and he said it would have been a mark. And if he found a mark, he would take his jabbing needle to test to see if these marks were insensitive to pain. Now, this jabbing needle of his, it wasn't like no little sewing needle. It was like a three-inch long spike that was built attached to a spring-loaded handle. Just like a, you know, kind of like a switchblade or whatnot, or a 
extra large diabetic needle thing. Okay. All right. Yet when he used this on the accused, they wouldn't really feel any pain. Well, not any terrible pain to where they would scream. It'd be like a little, I guess, prick. So that means any unfortunate accused that was, you know, this was tested on was automatically deemed a witch and was to be punished. Wait, hold on. So if they wouldn't feel the prick of the needle, they were a witch. Yes. And he pricked them on the location of where the mark was. Correct. Okay. All right. So that right there was just one of his tests that he used to identify a witch. But supposedly, he had a bunch of other different ones. For an example, one of the other tests he performed was on a woman named Mary Sutton of Bedford. Now, Mary was put through a swimming test. And during it, they tied her thumbs to the opposite big toe. And then they tossed her into the river to see if she would float. Now, if she floated, then she would be considered guilty of being a witch and being involved with the devil. However, if she sank, then yay, she was considered innocent. So what happened to Mary whenever they threw her ass into the water? Well, she floated up and Matthew Hopkins was like, Ha! Be gone, thy evil witch! Jesus Christ. Oh, it's horrible. It is. So, needless to say, this Matthew Hopkins guy was pretty much an asshole. And his book at the time, it encouraged people to kill women just because uh, of some accusations, right? And one of the worst things that happened during these witch hunts was not even known about until 1921. Like, the history books had no idea this occurred until it was discovered in a garden in Essex. Two female skeletons were discovered in an unmarked grave in that garden in Essex, and both women had iron rivets driven through their joints. This was done to them because they believed that the women were witches, and they put the rivets into them to make sure that these supposed witches could not return from the grave, which is absolutely insane. So like we said, though, Matthew Hopkins was an asshole, and he was responsible for over 300 executions. That's crazy. Man. Dude, I would be considered a witch, I guess. I have moles. Yeah, I got, you know, a marking right here. I'd be considered a got witch. Got a mole on my face. You know. I got one right underneath my eye that a lot of people think it's a, it's a teardrop tattoo, but it's not. Anyways, so that's the end of Strange Facts and Findings, and now we're going to transition into the theories section and hypothesize if witches really did exist, or were they made up, or what the hell was truly going on, you know? So, Dan. You want to tell us this first theory we got? You got it. All right. So our first theory that we're going to talk about is called the illness theory. So this theory states that multiple illnesses could have traveled down the genetic line of individuals. For example, like mental illnesses affecting townspeople and such. This in turn caused mass hysteria in the town, making them become psychotic and a group of panic to try and figure out what was causing it. They decided to go after witches, thinking that they were the ones that had caused the illnesses in the first place. I mean, it's kind of like the Black Death kind of thing. Like, oh, it's them that did it, I guess. But instead of the church saying it, just people just going crazy. Like, oh, something must be causing this. I don't know. Okay. All right. I can, eh, that one's okay. But I, I think we got way better ones, yeah. in my opinion. Definitely some way better ones. All right. So let's talk about this next theory, which is called herbs. So this theory states that many individuals at the time were ingesting medical herbs like nightshade or henbane or bufotanine. 
which this one comes from the skin of a toad, you know. So they milk the toads. Anyways, um, now this consumption of these herbs could have affected the mind of the individuals who were consuming them. And they could have, you know, been disoriented and easily just pointed their finger towards someone saying, hey, my mind's all screwed up because that woman's a witch and she cast a spell on me. When in reality, it was them just eating the herbs and the herbs gave them that side effect. And that was just an innocent woman crossing the street. I don't know if I believe that one, but I, I guess I could see it. Yeah, it's not that believable. I mean, in certain situations, I could see that, but not overall cause of why all these women got accused, well, women and men got accused of being witches. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I guess, a coincidence. Like, oh, my brain's starting to get fuzzy. She walked past me. It was her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this next theory is called the disaster theory. This one is just based on the actual misfortunes that struck during those times, like plagues, famine, war, natural disasters, you know, storms. Those disasters or ordeals needed a scapegoat, which the people blamed the witches for this one. Which, I mean, it's kind of like the churches, you know, still saying the blame game of, oh, it was the witches that caused the Black Death or the plagues. And, you know, oh, this storm ruined all y'all's crops. It was the witches summoning storms. I could see this as sort of like the previous one, right? The herbs one. Yeah. It's just people putting blame onto something. I mean, a lot of the first, the first theories that we have is literally just somebody doing the blame game, but yeah. for different reasons. Yeah, and, and they did this during the, the Black Death. They blame, that was like the kickstart of the whole anti-witch movement. So let's talk about this next theory. And it's similar to the herb one, but it's called mold. So this theory states that at this time in history, there's a type of mold called ergot that was getting on the wheat. Now, when that mold infected the wheat and that wheat was consumed or even inhaled, this mold would then, of course, go inside the person and it would cause hallucinations or even a psychotic behavior. And just a little FYI, this mold is nearly identical to the chemical structure of LSD. Oh, shit. So pretty much at this time in history, you had a lot of malnourished, ignorant pilgrims tripping balls off this mold. And they blamed this not on the mold, but on witches. They were causing it. I feel like this, like these theories that we just done is sort of like you said, just the blame game, right? Yeah, pretty much. And it just kind of, it pushed the witch hysteria even higher, right? Yeah. They probably didn't even know that their food was molded. They just saw it. They're just like, oh, it's got a little discoloration. Must be a little bit of mud on it. We'll just brush it off a little bit and eat it. <laughs> I mean, hey, they were hungry. Yeah, they were. I got to give it to them. All right, Dan, tell us about this next theory. All right, this next theory is called the greed theory. Let's say the elites initiated the witch hunts in order to fill their own pockets. So they targeted what they would consider an easy target, which were witches at the time. You know, they knew witches and all that stuff, but they started pointing at witches and stuff like, ah, she's a witch, bring her in. You know, they were already being persecuted by the church for being sinful and dealing with the devil, supposedly, you know. But the only thing, though, is that most witches back then weren't really wealthy. They didn't really have like a lot of money or anything like that. So, so uh, what do you need? What do you mean greed? Like w the elites initiated the witch hunts. H how would the elites fill their own pockets? What were they getting from it? Pretty much anything from their house, but I want to say possibly farmland. Okay. It's funny you mentioned that because I roll into that here in a little bit. The farmland theory, which I'm a big 
believer in that one. But that's going to be the last theory that we cover. Yeah, this one, not not too much on the land, but just pretty much any property or anything belonging to the people. Okay. Or shit, not even the elites, you think about it. Because most of the accused were accused by neighbors and shit like that. Get them out of the house. Boom, go in. Hey, that's a nice little pot you got there. It's mine now. Yeah, hey, I like your your dog. Hey, you got a cool skateboard. Hey, is that a 2008 Saturn Vu with a Whataburger bag in the back of it? By damn, I'll take that. I like that sweater beside it. Yeah. So, yeah, they were, they were just snatching everything up. All right. So, let's go on to our next theory, uh, which is called woman's rights. So, this theory states that the entire witch craze was all made up as a way for men at the time to execute any women who were not conforming to the typical women-like roles at the time. For an example, let's say a woman at that time uh, decided to talk back to her husband, or she didn't do her wifely duties, or maybe she demanded voting rights, you know, and instead of the town that she lived in being disturbed by that woman, right, because they didn't want a woman like that in their town, uh, they instead were like, hey, let's accuse her of being a witch and kill her. And that's what they did. And I know when people hear this theory, they'll say, hey, what about the men? They were also accused of being a witch and killed as well. Well, overall, proportion-wise, the women were a far vast majority of the ones who were killed. By far. But there were men who were killed. And if this theory is correct about the women's rights things and all that, maybe you could say that the men who were killed were maybe like the white knights for this woman's movement. You know, the men of the town didn't like these simps. And it was like, hey, let's kill them along with the witches. So yeah, that theory's kind of believable. Yeah, that one's kind of believable, definitely. I mean... That's my new number one. I mean, it's definitely up there. But this next theory, though, is the most common theory out there. Oh yeah, it is. Religious rebellion. So back then... Believing in God was the main thing to do. That was like the main religion. You know, everyone followed. Well, not everyone, though. They saw witches as ones who dealt with the evil forces such as the devil. So to them, this was attack on their God. So they spread the word that all witches were evil because they didn't believe in the same God as them and that they caused all the plagues and the evil shit in the world. Pretty much wipe them out. They don't believe in God. You know what? I kind of want to believe this. You know, you get rid of your undesirables in your town, your, un- your non-believers, and it goes well with this next theory. Oh. So let me tell this next one, and then we can kind of like uh, talk about all these theories and which ones we think. All right. All right. So this last theory, it kind of only really involves the Salem witch trials and the reason behind that. Now, could this theory also be attributed as like the reasons to the other witch hunts? Yeah, it could be. But first... Let's go over this theory and kind of talk about this so-called land dispute. So this theory is that the entire reason the Salem witch trials happened was because of land disputes. So right before the Salem witch trials took place, boundaries in local Essex County towns, which included Salem, they were poorly defined. Like nobody really knew the boundaries that well. Now because of this, there were a ton of disagreements about who owned the property. Now, the biggest land disputes were happening between the residents of Salem Village 
and the neighbors of the town of Topsfield. So there is a theory that the residents started accusing the individuals that they had land disputes with of being a witch. Now, if you were accused of it, of course, you had to go and get tortured. And if you confessed that you were a witch, your family would lose all their land. If you didn't and you were executed, then your family got to keep their land. So basically, people who had land disputes were using this witch craze as a way to get land. And as crazy as that might sound, I want to add something to this, and it makes it way more believable in my opinion. So right before this entire witch craze happened, you know, with the land grabs and all that and the witch accusations, voting laws in that area were changed. Now, what do voting laws have to do with land and witches? Well, before the laws changed, if you wanted to vote in Salem, you had to be a member of the Puritan church. Well, that law ended up changing. Instead of voting rights being given to the members of the Puritan church, they were given to the landowners. Now, this is when the witch craze started to come over from Europe, and it's around the same time when the disputes of who owned what area of land started happening. Now, of course, families wanted to own land so that they could vote. And the more land you owned, the more powerful you were. So people would accuse others of being a witch just so they could gain ownership of their land. And I know that might sound crazy, but if you go to the Salem Witch Museum website and you look at an article that they wrote about this land dispute, it all makes sense. They go into super detail about this theory and they connect individuals with witches and the ones being accused. It's a very interesting read, and I'll provide that link on our website for anybody that wants to take a look at it. But yeah, that's the last theory we got. I gotta believe that one more. Honestly, it makes sense. Land is power, and think back then, the more land that someone owned, the more power they had. The kings, they wanted more land. They wanted to control more of the area. You know when we talked about um, the food shortages on the food shortage episode. I was, I was honestly just thinking about that episode. Yeah, and how we mentioned how Bill Gates is the biggest private owner of farmland in the United States. Yep. So land is power, people. And they're not making any more of it. It's not being made. There is a limited amount of it. So if you're going to invest in anything, invest in GameStop or in land. This is not financial advice. So yeah, um, I could see the land disputes as being a thing that pushed it. But if I had like a gun to my head, okay, I would say there were individuals who dabbled in the dark arts. The churches back then took that, used it as an example to use them as scapegoats to gain more followers to their church so that they could have more control. These dissidents, these People performing witchcraft, if they angered the church, church would off them immediately, call them a witch and off them. And then this kind of belief and structure just continued to grow rapidly throughout the world until people were like, this is pretty crazy. Why are we doing this? You know? I mean, Germany waited till all the women were pretty much gone and most of the towns would be like, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> you done messed up. I mean, we also have to say, because I know if we don't say it, someone's going to point it out. 
not all witches are evil. We know that there are good witches out there. Yeah, they originally started off good. Yeah, so this isn't saying like all witches are evil or anything like that. But I mean, even back then, even if the witches that were, some of them were practicing dark arts, doesn't mean that all of them were. Pretty much anything that they did and they were considered a witch, it was evil to them, even though it wasn't. I mean, like they have like medicine women, medicine people back then that, you know, messed with dabbled in herbs and stuff that people would go to like, oh, you know, my son Billy's, you know, he's real sick. They whip up a little concoction for him and like, here, take this. It'll make Billy feel better. You know, they had people like that that actually helped people, not harming people, but actually helping them. Yeah. And then they all got screwed over. I think it's a combination of all those theories. The church is pushing their propaganda, which I'm not thrashing church as a religion, okay? I'm just stating this is my theory. They push their propaganda, and then in turn, they're using these witches as like scapegoats for famine, and it just grows this, this hate towards witches. And then you have these women who wanted their equal rights and rights to voting, and it was a way for the men at the time to be like, hey, you want equal voting rights or you want equal rights? Well, here, heh, you're a witch. And then, you know, there'd, there'd be no proof and they would just kill them. You know what I wonder, though? Hmm. Like, for the Salem witch trials, who, who was, like, the first person to be like, you know what, for land dispute, let's say that they're a witch. You know, the other person like, the hell, a witch? Then they're just like, you know what, it might be crazy enough that it might just work. And then it just got blown out of proportion. <laughs> Have, have you ever been to the Salem Witch Museum? No. In Salem? No, I wanted to, but I never had the chance to. I ended up going like a year ago, and it was kind of scary, man. It was something. I, I definitely advise if, if anyone's near Salem, Massachusetts, definitely go check out that museum. It's, it's worth it. They do a whole reenactment, right? You, you go into like this church building, and these women come out, and they do like this reenactment of what's like going on at the time, and then they gather you all up. And then they open up this weird looking door and then you start going downstairs into like the basement. And then they're like, okay, we're all going to burn you. No, they didn't say that. No, I was like, damn, they didn't burn nobody. No, they didn't burn anybody. No, but they were like, yeah, okay, here we go. This is where we stuck all the witches. See you later. Close the doors. Scary. Anyways, so do you have anything else you want to add to this witches episode or any confessions you want to make or anything like that? Confessions? You're trying to say that I'm a witch over here? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get you to confess to people. Are you going to come over here and put like thumb screws or leg screws on me and start torturing me so it's not really torture but it's torture no oh no i'm not a witch okay and you don't have anything to add no i don't have anything else to add to this all right neither do i but i do want to say if you or a loved one are a witch and you would like to share your stories of casting spells or being yelled at by churches send us an email Aaron at theoriesofthethirdkind.com or Dan at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. We'd love to hear about it. And show us your broom. <laughs> right around on it. All right, so that's the end of the witches episode. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I did, honestly. I, I admit, like, I didn't think I would, but going through and all that, I truly enjoyed it. I mean, not the whole killing and stuff, but I learned a lot. Oh, yeah, I learned a lot, too. A lot of stuff I didn't even know. It was fun reading into the history and stuff like that of the witches and all that. I enjoyed it. 100%. So now we would usually go into our on the scene, uh, but we are going to skip that this week, and we're going to skip our regular shout-outs and move them all to next week, and we're just going to do our birthday shout-outs. So, Dan, 
you want to start it off and do the first couple birthday shout outs? Of course. So I do have some ones that I missed in September, which I have a Maddie G whose birthday was on September 28th. And they have a request for you, Aaron. Okay. I want you to t- uh, say happy birthday to Maddie G in a my tummy hurts voice. Happy birthday, Manny Chang. My tummy hurts. Happy birthday, bitch. Respectfully. Respectfully. All right. Then the next one is Josh B. His birthday was September 29th. He turned 49. Congrats on the big 4-9. Congratulations. Next birthday is Derek DeLong. His birthday's October 6th, and I think he turned 40, if I'm not mistaken. So happy birthday to Derek. Happy birthday. The next birthday I have, shout out, is to Tiff. Her birthday was October 16th. And they requested a happy birthday in Creed style. And I know you like Creed. Well, I just heard it's Tiff's birthday today. We're going to get copyright struck by Creed. You Scott Staff. He's the fucking lead singer of Creed. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Then the last two birthdays is happy birthday to Nick Ray. His is on October 21st. And then his son's birthday is October 17th, in which his son turns 12. And he wanted us to say congratulations to his son for getting into the Robotics League. I guess where they make like the robots and stuff. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Congratulations. Hell yeah. Yeah. Congratulations and happy birthday to the both of you. Happy birthday. I hope it's good. I hope you make some badass robots. I want to see pictures of some. I want to see videos of them. I want them to take over the world. Yeah. Screw it. Let's, let's right, do it. Sweet. Take over the world. Make a robot take over the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's all my birthday shout outs for this week. All right. Nice. So my first birthday shout out goes to Aliza. She said that her birthday is coming up in October, but she didn't give us a date. So I just want to say whatever day your birthday is in October. I hope it's a good one. And she said she'd just prefer a shout out. She doesn't want us to be singing. Fine, you just get a happy birthday. Gosh. <laughs> no, happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. Alright, uh, so the next birthday shout out is to Jasmine Frazier. It's actually her birthday today. The day that this episode's airing on October 13th. She's 27 and single. So if y'all are looking, you have my info. That's exactly what she said. So here Wait, we go. Wait, to us? <laughs> oh, almost just passed out. Yeah. So she's 27 and single and ready to mingle. Hell yeah, she is. So congratulations. I hope you have a great birthday and I hope it's good and I hope you get everything you ever wanted. All right. So the next birthday shout out I got is to Abby Faith. Her birthday was actually on September 18th, but the whole family uh, loves our show, and they're in the middle of Tennessee on the hunt for Bigfoot's giant wang. Well, thank you for that. Uh, I got this email from Jared, so thank you for that, Jared, and happy birthday, Abby. Happy birthday, Abby. I don't want to say hope you find Bigfoot, or you find Bigfoot, but not for that other reason. Yeah, yeah. Good choice of words, Dan. All right, so the last birthday shout out is from Janelle. She sent us an email and said, Hello, Aaron. My husband loves this podcast. On long car rides home, we've been listening to episodes. 
either ones he's already listened to and wants to share with me or whatever is new, if he hasn't already listened. We have a fun time listening, learning some strange facts and findings, and laughing at the two of you. One episode recently, there was a really special part at the end where some people got birthday wishes in fun voices or by a song. I hope it's not too late for a birthday wish for my husband. His name is Tony, and his birthday is on the 25th of November. Good Lord, Janelle. You got your email in early, huh? Super early. You're definitely not late. <laughs> Damn. So, um, yeah, she wants to see if we could give him a, a birthday shout out. Uh, her husband's name is Tony. And um, he's also known as Dada by our 18-month-old named Leonidas. What a badass name Leonidas, that is awesome. I wish my parents would name me Leonidas. Yeah, I just got called Daniel. I got called Aaron. God, we suck. Yeah, we do. But anyways, hey, Tony, happy way early birthday, over a month in advance. Yeah, over a month. But you know what? Happy birthday. And probably we'll get another email right near your birthday, and we'll tell you happy birthday again. Hell yeah, we will. So yeah, congratulations. Happy birthday. I hope it's a good one. Thank you for listening to us and sharing it with your loved ones. We much appreciate it. Yeah, we do. Thanks, Dada. All right. So that is the end of our birthday shout outs. And let's see. We have one more announcement before we roll this episode out real quick. If anybody wants any merchandise, just know that tomorrow, October 14th, our new website is going live and it contains our new merch on it. So as of right now, we have a website website and we have a merchandise website. So they're two different websites. But starting this Friday, we are going to have a brand new website that has everything in one. And it's going to have all the references that are neatly organized, all the episodes. It's going to have everything on it that you need. And there's going to be a lot of new merchandise that is bon appetit. Oh, the designs. Oof. Took it to the next level, baby. They magnifico. Yeah, best ones yet, in my opinion. Oh, definitely, 100%. Yeah. So if you or a loved one are looking to purchase a shirt or a hat to wear during Halloween, go to theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on shop, and look at what we have there. Make sure to order early enough so it does come in on Halloween or before. Yeah. Make sure to get in those orders early so you get them in by Halloween. Anyways, um, is there anything else that we need to add or talk about before we roll this episode out? No, I mean, we got the new website launching, new merch launching. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yep. So uh, I want to thank you for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing. Every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone. 